This is Encounter on VOA. Here's Carol Castiel. Welcome to Encounter on the Voice of America on this U.S. politics edition of the program. After weeks of intense negotiations, U.S. President Joe Biden strikes a bipartisan infrastructure deal, breakthrough or bottleneck. Hello again, I'm Carol Castiel. After touting the bill just 10 days ago on the White House driveway, flanked by five Democratic and five Republican senators, President Biden said the magic words, quote, we have a deal, unquote. However, after the much-anticipated announcement, Biden appeared to link his endorsement of the package with a far more expensive and expansive human infrastructure bill, which is likely to get only Democratic support. It would therefore have to come to the Senate floor under terms of the budgetary procedure called reconciliation, needing only 50 votes to pass. The question is, can President Biden obtain the support of 10 Senate Republicans to pass the bipartisan infrastructure package and at the same time not alienate the left wing of the Democratic Party? In another legislative priority, voting rights, Attorney General Merrick Garland last week announced that he was suing the state of Georgia for enacting a law the legislature passed that he says would deny minorities particularly African-Americans, the right to vote. Many critics of this and other restrictive voting laws being passed by more than two dozen Republican state legislatures say that these laws are a reaction to the historic black turnout in the 2020 U.S. elections and have less to do with voter integrity and preventing voter fraud than with suppressing Democratic voter turnout. House of Representatives Speaker Democrat Nancy Pelosi created a select committee to investigate the January 6th assault on the U.S. Capitol. Despite criticism from all but two Republicans who voted in favor of it, Pelosi said she had no choice since Republicans in the Senate blocked the creation of a bipartisan independent commission. Joining us via Microsoft Teams to discuss it all are our two political gurus. John Fortier is resident scholar at the American Enterprise Institute. That's a conservative think tank here in Washington. And Jim Kessler, he's executive vice president for policy at Third Way, a center-left policy group also here in Washington. And gentlemen, welcome back to the program. Let me begin with John Fortier. John, let's go to this infrastructure package, this bipartisan framework. The news media picked up on a misstep. They characterized President Biden's declaration that unless this legislation was accompanied by legislation for more spending by Democrats, you know, that he might not endorse it, but then he walked that back. Is this much ado about nothing, John? How do you see, you know, this little kerfuffle? Well, I guess if we step back and think about the ways in which Joe Biden and his administration might govern, I've said in the past that I think he's gone about it in a smart way in many ways by trying to get some of his priorities done through the process that can get through by a bare majority in the House and the Senate. And that's a process that we sometimes call reconciliation, complicated process. But the alternative is on other issues that are not so budget related that you're often facing the Senate being able to block legislation because of 60 votes, 60 percent of the Senate being required to get to debate. Here on display, I think we saw the tensions between two different types of strategies. We'd been talking about, was there a possibility that Republicans and Democrats could come together on some aspects of infrastructure and pass a bill that wouldn't use reconciliation, that would get past the 60 percent threshold? And lo and behold, there was a deal cut between moderate Republicans and Democrats in the Senate. That being said, it raised the question, well, what about all this other spending that Democrats wanted to do in the infrastructure package, some that Republicans would have 
criticized as not really infrastructure, more other policy issues. So we did have some pushback from more progressives and even the House of Representatives, Nancy Pelosi, saying, well, if we do this, we're not going to just do this bipartisan package. We want our bigger package, too, which might be passed just with a majority. So we're stuck now. We're not sure what's going to happen. It certainly is possible that we could pass that bipartisan package. It sounds like the left of the Democratic Party probably doesn't want to do that alone. They're going to push for some sort of majority-only package as well. But even in that case, you have this issue that you have to hold all of your Democrats together. And again, the key figure, Democratic senator, conservative Democrat from West Virginia, Joe Manchin, is saying, look, I'm open to doing something like that, but I'm going to be more skeptical about how much to spend and on what to spend. And so we're still in the midst of this negotiation. Will it be some of the bipartisan things plus a little bit of a larger package? The tricky thing is it's hard to govern. Even with this ability to sneak things through in a bare majority way, you still have to hold your Democrats together. So I think at the end of the day, we'll probably have some sort of package or two packages that have a more modest layout of spending and taxes as well that Joe Manchin can support. But we're still in that negotiation between the more progressive part of the party and ultimately Joe Manchin and a few moderates who want on the Democratic side some more restraint. So turning to you, Jim Kessler, you certainly know the mechanics of the Senate and scheduling votes and certainly the tensions within the Democratic Party. But on the other hand, this kerfuffle or this unfortunate misunderstanding that occurred when President Biden said, well, I'll sign this, you know, when I get this other more expansive Democratic bill that seemed to anger many Republicans. It kind of reminds me of the film Casablanca when Lewis says to Rick, the owner of Rick's Cafe, I'm shocked there's gambling going on here. I mean, Republicans have known all along that President Biden and House Democrats had every intention of trying to pass a larger infrastructure bill in tandem with this bipartisan bill. How do you see this playing out? Right. So great analogy, Carol, with Casablanca. There is a choreography at play here that has to be done correctly and has to be done carefully. And when Biden went out after announcing that we have a deal and then said these packages, I would veto it if it's only one of them. That was a stumble on the dance floor. But that was not a fatal stumble. So I am optimistic that there will be a bipartisan agreement that ultimately reaches President Biden's desk, plus a go-it-alone Democratic package that has other things in the areas like child tax credit and other areas that have more to do with family budgets. But all along the way, it will appear like a high wire act in which the trapeze artists on the wire seem like they're about to fall. So this will die a thousand deaths before ultimately being signed by the president. Here are some of the pitfalls along the way. Mitch McConnell, the Senate Republican leader, he really doesn't want a bipartisan deal. In the past, something like that might spook enough Republicans not to do it. I think the Republican Senate caucus, there's elements of it that are independent enough that they will maybe not stick with Mitch McConnell and this sort of thing. On the other side, you know, there is going to be the battle, at least on the reconciliation package, between the more moderate wing of the party and the more progressive wing of the Democratic Party. Ultimately, there's too much that both of those sides want that I believe they will come together on an agreement, not nearly as large as what Bernie Sanders wants, but by any measure, a large package. So back to you, John Fortier. Certainly, this is a huge challenge facing President Biden. He got a big COVID relief bill passed earlier in the year. And this infrastructure deal, 
is very important for him and for his legislative agenda, particularly the more expansive part, including protections for climate and childcare and other what he calls human infrastructure. How do you see him, you know, sort of threading this needle on the one hand, you know, mollifying some moderate Republicans who are interested in voting for the bipartisan bill, as well as more conservative Democratic senators, Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema of Arizona, and assuaging demands of the so-called left wing of the Democratic Party, like Senator Bernie Sanders and Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez of New York. Well, look, I agree with Jim. I think ultimately they will get something done, what it looks like, or, you know, we're going to shape. But because it's budgetary matters where you can take a little off here and a little off there and trade this for that, and they have the possibility of doing it with a bare majority through reconciliation, I think something will get done. And we have the COVID relief package, and then we have another bite of the apple at reconciliation this year. In theory, there's more reconciliation that could happen next year. But these are going to be the kinds of things that Joe Biden can claim as victories. And they'll be about infrastructure. But as some Republicans have complained about some of the things in there may stretch beyond people's normal normal understanding of infrastructure, but other policy areas which fit under that tent somehow. But when you get to other issues, immigration and voting rights and other things that Democrats want, that path really isn't there. So again, I think this is important for Joe Biden because he can get and claim a number of accomplishments through whatever comes out of this process, which I agree again with Jim, that is going to be a long process with lots of bargaining. The COVID relief package was easier to do that way. And I think given how narrow the majorities are, you know, none of this is very easy to do, but ultimately something will come through that at least Joe Manchin, the most conservative senator in the Senate, can put his stamp on. And again, that's the kind of legislative accomplishment that I think the Biden administration can expect with this narrow majority, but not on those other issues. Exactly. Well, Jim Kessler weighing in once again, what's at stake in your view for President Biden regarding this infrastructure legislation, another very important achievement should he be able to accomplish this you know, Mr. Bipartisan, he has really made an effort, even to the chagrin of some of the Democrats on the left wing of the party, to come to a bipartisan agreement, even if that means sacrificing a few Democratic priorities in the larger package. Do you think he can thread this needle? What's at stake and how much time does he have before we start talking about midterms? He's got very little time, it seems. I believe it's a game changer if he's able to get this bipartisan package through, because Very few of the Washington punditry out there thought that it was possible. And Joe Biden has had the benefit since the day he announced for president that he has been underestimated by the mainstream press and by a lot of the politicians in Washington as well. So if he's able to pull this off, it will be a major boon to his political standing and his future chances of running for reelection in close to four years, but also for Democrats in the midterms, which is one of the reasons why Mitch McConnell and other Republican leaders really don't want to see this happen. There is a playbook that Republicans have used when Democrats have the presidency, and that is really not to cooperate at all on anything resembling economic issues, force the Democratic Party to go further left, to pass it only within their own caucus, and in turn scare middle-class voters that Democrats are are way too far to the left. Biden is a moderate. Voters know that he's a moderate. This would give Biden a huge win, but also the promise that he made to try and turn the temperature down in Washington and seek bipartisan solutions for major problems. It would give proof to his theory of how Washington can work. Just one other thing to add to this, Carol. 
We've had record heat in parts of the United States in the last couple of weeks. And when I say record temperatures, I don't mean just record temperatures for that particular date in history, but all-time record temperatures for places like Seattle and Portland and other places on any date. So we've had for the last 20, 30 years, one party within the United States, the Republican Party, that basically has either denied that climate change existed or has really downplayed it as a problem. Now you're seeing some Republicans say that it's real. A climate change caucus has formed among Republicans in Congress. And you're seeing record temperatures, some in places where Republicans represent. So you may be seeing some new urgency there. That's a very good point. And I'd like to tell our listeners to listen to my PCUSA Newsmaker interview with none other than John Curtis, the Republican member of Congress from Utah who actually created this conservative climate caucus. You're listening to Encounter on The Voice of America. Our guests are John Fortier, he's resident scholar at the American Enterprise Institute, and Jim Kessler, from whom you just heard, executive vice president for policy at Third Way. And they join me via Microsoft Teams. We are discussing the politics of infrastructure and other legislative challenges facing the Biden administration. This is a reminder that our Encounter podcast is available on our website at voanews.com slash encounter. You may also follow us on Twitter or connect with us on Facebook at Carol Castiel VOA. Well, here's a shout out to a loyal listener, Yuitsu Sato from Japan. If you want to hear your name and home country on the air, please send an email to encounter at voanews.com or like us and leave a comment on our Facebook page. So back to you, John Fortier. And before we get into the more controversial issues, we just noticed that Nancy Pelosi created this select commission to investigate the January 6th assault on the U.S. Capitol. And she did that because Senate Republicans blocked the bipartisan commission, which even garnered quite a few Republican votes in the House of Representatives. So again, you know, this isn't really so controversial when you think about what happened to our country on that day, an assault not just on the physical Capitol and members of Congress, but on democracy itself and the Constitution. What does this say, you know, about where Republicans stand and how willing they are to cooperate on the most basic of issues? Well, I think I said this last time we were on that we're going to have, we already have had, and we're going to have more investigation of what happened on January 6th. And I think that's completely appropriate. That's going to happen through the courts, many of which many, many individual cases against people are are going forward. We've had some investigation in Congress. The executive branch is also going to do investigation. But the question was, would the parties come together to say, we are going to together put a stamp on a commission that gives a very strong statement about what happened that day? Or is it going to go through what is more the normal political process? This is a select committee, but a committee that's going to have Republicans and Democrats on it that's going to look at the evidence and is going to put out a report. Republicans, I think, believe that they just were not ready. It didn't feel like they would get a fair shake on the way this was set up. Whether you agree with that or disagree with that, that's another question. But it's not as if this is not going to be investigated or that the powers of Congress to investigate or the administration are any less. So we'll go forward. And I do agree that on many issues, it is non-controversial that we want to protect our democratic institutions. But, you know, I think you'd be naive to think that there aren't a lot of issues that will be controversial. How bad was this? What is Donald Trump's role exactly? Interpretation of what we learn from investigations about various policy actors. Look, they're going to be seen more through a political lens. And so 
I don't think we're whitewashing this at all. We're going to have an investigation. But Republicans are not ready to say, hey, right up front, we are all agreeing that we're going to put our stamp on some investigation that we're likely to get consensus on. We're going to look at this in an investigatory way like Congress does on many issues. Sure. Jim Kessler, they're going to look at it in an investigatory way. But this select committee is not the best option, even by the Democrats' analysis they would have preferred, in order for it to have the appearance of and to be substantially you know, more bipartisan, they would have preferred, as many Republicans in the House, a bipartisan commission. So now many Republicans, the leadership, is criticizing Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats saying that, oh, this will be a partisan panel used to attack former President Donald Trump, but they missed the opportunity to have a more bipartisan looking committee. So it's a bit sort of disingenuous, critics say, almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Now they have an opportunity to attack it on partisan grounds, but they rejected the opportunity to have a more bipartisan approach. Look, Donald Trump remains a cancer within the Republican Party, and that's the problem here. And there's a bunch of faith healers within the Republican Party that think like, well, this is going to go away or magically heal itself. And this January 6th commission is an example where the party needs to do something. The Republican Party needs to do something to rid themselves of this danger. And it's a shame. They should have jumped on the bipartisan commission. They should have used this as an opportunity to finally excise the Trump disease from this party. But Trump now is the party. There are a few independent members that have definitely have risen in opposition to Trump, like Liz Cheney and a handful of others. There are others who are hook, line, and sinker forum. And then there's a lot, large number of them that are just pretending this isn't happening and that it's going to go away and time is going to heal things. And let's go back to sort of our normal way of doing things. And they're whistling past the graveyard. This is not going to happen. So I think Republicans missed an opportunity on the bipartisan panel. Nancy Pelosi is 10 times smarter than Kevin McCarthy, who is the Republican minority leader. She's been doing this for a lot longer. She outmaneuvered him. And now they look silly again, opposing it. So I think John is right. This is going to be adjudicated in a different way. But, you know, there's still a large number of people who feel that Donald Trump was right, that the election was stolen and that what happened on January 6th was an act of patriotism, not an act of treachery. Well, I've heard others, some analysts saying, certainly for the Capitol Police and their family members and those who lost their lives, they're very disappointed in the so-called party of law and order, which is how the Republican Party has been characterized in the past. But things certainly have changed. At any rate, as we close, let's look at a more controversial issue, and that is voting rights. In the introduction, John Fortier, I said that the Justice Department filed a lawsuit against the state of Georgia. But on Thursday, the Supreme Court upheld voting restrictions in the state of Arizona, And some say that that ruling signals that similar challenges to other state laws making it harder to vote could face hostile reception from the majority of justices. And I think if I'm not mistaken, and please correct me if I'm wrong, the Senate had an opportunity to debate voting rights. But they even, again, I think through the so-called filibuster, blocked any kind of discussion, even if voting rights, like you said earlier, you know, probably wasn't going to have any kind of bipartisan support for the so-called HR or S-1 for the People Act and the less comprehensive John Lewis Voting Rights Act. So where do we stand on voting rights? 
I think sometimes people use the word voting rights to mean all that is good and democratic about voting. And sometimes, of course, it means party positions on issues related to voting. There are clearly some differences between the Republican Party and Democratic Party, especially in the states, as to what they prefer for reforming our democratic voting system. Generally speaking, Democrats are more access oriented, Republicans more integrity oriented. But Look, there are a lot of very specific things about how we run elections. I guess I'm struck by a couple of things. First, the bill that Democrats have been trying to get through the Congress is an enormous bill. It is their wish list of everything they've always wanted, really introduced first in 2019 after they took the House of Representatives to, frankly, really highlight their issues, show their differences with Republicans, put their stamp on things. Now, with this very slim majority, there's been this thought that we're just going to pass this enormous bill. I think that is unrealistic. It seems like we've been proved right that it's not likely to go through. Even major parts of this bill would be very controversial to get through the Congress and also the question of just whether you want to run things at the national level or the state level. Surely Republicans are making some changes at the state level. Democrats don't like those changes. There are questions about whether they're limiting absentee voting too much or the way deadlines are for how much early voting you should have, a lot of smaller things. Generally speaking, and I know this is not the way the media has covered it, but the changes Republicans are making are certainly of a lot smaller character than this big Democratic bill, which would federalize a lot of things at the national level. So I think some of the things Republicans are doing probably are going to be upheld by the courts. They're not dramatic changes. They're often reverting back to practices they had before 2020 or small changes of dates. We can argue about them. Democratic Biden administration's Justice Department may try to push at them in court. But I think we've started to see the Supreme Court is not likely to wholesale reject these sort of changes. And I do think it's worth putting in perspective, again, just the size and scale of the differences between this national Democratic bill and the relatively small uh, Republican bills. And I will also note Democrats are also making changes in Democratic states that are pro-access in their own way. Maybe Republicans don't like them, but there's a lot of fervor there. But I think the changes are likely to stick and they're not as dramatic as certainly being called a new Jim Crow or other things that have been labeled, which I think really is overblown rhetoric about the changes that are being proposed. Jim Kessler, do you see it like John Fortier? Or are you worried because, as some Democrats say, these voter laws are changing, in a sense, as a result of the 2020 election and the large voter turnout, which favored Democrats. But I assume Democrats could also compromise on a a less expansive voting bill, just like they appear to be prepared to do that for infrastructure. Nonetheless, do you think that this new Supreme Court ruling upholding voter restrictions in the state of Arizona is a dangerous signal for the Biden administration, which is opposing these restrictive voting laws in mostly Republican states? I said earlier that I was optimistic that there would be a bipartisan agreement on infrastructure. I am definitely not optimistic that there will be a bipartisan agreement on voting rights. Look, Joe Manchin, whose name keeps coming up, the most conservative of all the Democrats in the Senate, he did propose a compromise that also had a big give for Republicans, which was to strengthen voter identification laws and scale back what John Fortier referenced to a very enormous bill that Democrats had proposed, scaled it back significantly. Republicans still rejected it, and I just think they're not interested in in really doing this. The thing that concerns me most in the states are the provisions in the bills that are passing that make it easier for once an election happens and the votes are tabulated that officials can reject those results. Those are the pieces in some of the Republican past bills that to me are the most concerning. 
Well, that is very interesting, and I wish we had more time to discuss it, but I'm sure we will in future programs. So on that note, I'm afraid that's all the time we have on this politics edition of Encounter. I'd like to thank my guest, John Fortier, resident fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, and Jim Kessler, executive vice president for policy at Third Way. Encounter was produced in Washington with technical assistance from Rick Pantaleo. I'm Carol Castiel. Join me again next week for another Encounter on The Voice of America.